It would be a great help if you turn back to Psalm 63, the psalm we had read earlier on, page uh, 579 in your Bibles. I'm going to read verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Well, King David isn't the only poet in history to write about spiritual dryness. Listen to these words. Here is no water but only rock. Rock and no water and the sandy road, the road winding above among the mountains, which are mountains of rock without water. If there were water, we should stop and drink. Amongst the rock, one cannot stop or think. Sweat is dry and feet are in the sand. If there were only water amongst the rock, dead mountain mouth of carious teeth that cannot spit, here one can neither stand nor lie nor sit. There is not even silence in the mountains, but dry sterile thunder without rain. There is not even solitude in the mountains, but red, sullen faces sneer and snarl from doors of mud-cracked houses. If there were water and no rock, if there were rock and also water, and water a spring, a pool among the rock, if there were the sound of water only, not the cycada and dry grass singing the sound of water over a rock, where the hermit thrush sings in the pine trees, drip, drop, drip, drop, 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 drop. But there is no water. Words from The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. You see, it doesn't take much exposure to 20th or 21st century culture to realise that we live in a thirsty world. Though Eliot's modernist classic was written in 1922 into the wasteland of post-war Europe, the poem is strikingly contemporary. For today, we live in a society where there is, as Eliot says, no water a society that is deeply thirsty. Thirsty for reality, thirsty for transcendence, thirsty for life. And so yesterday, I bought the big issue and uh, found this article, Spirituality in the City, it reads. It's an advertisement for the latest Mind, Body and Spirit exhibition. If you happen to be free this Friday, you can head down to, over to Manchester uh, to the GMAX Centre and pay £7 and, uh, and go along. Well, if you did, what would you find? Well, here's what you'd find, and I quote, more than 120 stands that showcase products and treatments ranging from fair trade clothing, empowering goddess products, training in naturopathy and nutrition, and information on natural burials. There is also a children's activities area, while hour-long talks touch on working with angels, past lives, unlocking psychic powers, and improving relationships. Well, crazy stuff. But doesn't it reveal the need of society? The thirst, the dissatisfaction, the the longing for some kind of spiritual reality. But is it just the world? What about the church? What about Christians? You see, haven't we found Jesus, the, the spring of living water? Surely we shouldn't be thirsty, should we? Well, no, Christians too know all about spiritual dryness. I'll never forget the time Phil came into my office. Phil is one of my longest and closest friends. And he'd just been away on a summer camp. We were meeting over lunch 
and uh, he came into my office for coffee. And he was talking about his experiences leading on this summer camp. Things hadn't been very good. He'd been uh, giving himself out and it had been really tiring, not just physically, but spiritually. Uh, So he hadn't got much encouragement from the talks that he'd heard. Serving God had felt like a drudgery, not a joy. Praying, uh, as he sat there, he told me that praying was, was hard. He felt low. He felt far away from God. Now, Phil's been a Christian for at least nine years and is wonderfully faithful and encouraging. What was wrong? Well, experience suggests that Phil is an exceptional in that. You don't need to look far down the the corridor of church history to see uh, saints like Martin Luther, John Bunyan and Charles Spurgeon who all had their spiritual low points. But forget the great saints. Uh, You and I know all about seasons of spiritual dryness. But maybe for you it's not just a season. Maybe it's felt months, even years, since God was close to you. And maybe that's for a whole host of reasons. Maybe here you you find yourself this morning feeling spiritually thirsty because life has dealt you a harsh blow. But perhaps through no fault of your own, you find yourself this morning cut off from where you want to be and where you feel you deserve to be. Perhaps it's a marriage that hasn't turned out as you wanted. Maybe a career that hasn't, just hasn't taken off as you, as you wanted it to. And you're thinking, well, where is God in all this? Or maybe for you, it's the future that looks bleak. Uh, you look ahead and suddenly everything that you thought certain has become uncertain. And you worry, you wonder if God will care for you, if he'll look after you. And maybe this morning you're just exhausted. Maybe you're feeling life is a battle that you just rather give up. If you're pulling yourself through each day, as one, each one melds into the next. And if you're honest, loving your family is hard enough, let alone loving God. And at the bottom of it all, you're worrying, well, is there something wrong with me? Is this normal to go through these kinds of seasons of dryness? Well, yes, it is normal. It is normal. Can I commend to you reading the Psalms regularly? Because in them you see godly men struggling with many spiritual diseases, spiritual dryness being one of them. Certainly, reading between the lines of this Psalm, David was probably experiencing a mixture of all those things. The background to the Psalm is in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 17. King David's life had just fallen apart. Forced to flee Jerusalem, the capital, with his loyal subjects and forced to head off to the desert after his son Absalom had turned against him and usurped his throne. A kind of political coup from from within his own family. So it must have been a low time for King David in the desert of Judah. His political career and his life were all suddenly up for grabs. No doubt his health had taken a turn for the worst as well. He he would have arrived in the desert exhausted, hungry, tired, thirsty. And yet, where was the place that all of this hit David? We'll see verse 1. In his relationship with his God. David's life had fallen apart, you see, but to capital, God seemed far away. And it's a place that many Christians often find themselves to be. Well, it raises the question, what do you do when you find yourself in a spiritual desert? When your life falls apart and God seems to have deserted you? And if you're not in that place this morning, well, rejoice. 
But I can guarantee that one day you will be led into the desert. How are you going to navigate it when when you're there? How will you help other people as they come to you and and tell you that they're in the desert? Well, Psalm 63 is a little bit like a map for weary travellers. It has one main compass point to help navigate our way through. What's that? Well, it's this. When you're in the desert, delight in God's covenant love, because it will satisfy you. When you're in the desert, delight in God's covenant love, because he will satisfy you. Covenant love. You see, that is the key that unlocks David's experience in the psalm. It's there in verse 3. The NIV just has love, God's love. Better from the Hebrew missed out here, it is his covenant love, or his steadfast love. His hesed is the Hebrew word. Elsewhere, the NIV translated as his unfailing love. This is God's faithful covenant love that he promised to Israel and all his people. It is love that had saved David. And love that would never let him go. And if you're a Christian this morning, well, it's love that has saved you. Has brought you here this morning and won't let you go. It is covenant love, faithful love. It's kind of marriage love. Love, therefore, that we can delight in as the constant in a life of variables. When you're in the desert, delight in God's covenant love because it will satisfy you. But if we're to delight in this love, well, we need to understand its dimensions. We need to see its components. And there are three. There are three. And here's the first, if you're taking notes. Uh, When you're in the desert, firstly, delight in the presence of covenant love. Delight in the presence of covenant love. This is verses 2 to 5. See, this is the first thing that sustained David uh, when he found himself in the desert. He celebrated the presence of God's covenant love, delighted that God was with him. How does he do that? Well, notice that both his mind and his heart are involved. So in verse 2, he uses his mind. He says, I've seen you, God, I've seen you. See, he's remembering the God that he knows. The God who has revealed his character to David, his power and his glory in the sanctuary. And that's a reference to public worship in Jerusalem. And then verse 4, this love of God that David celebrates isn't just vague. It's not sort of some concrete, uh, some vague kind of hope. No, it's concrete. It's wrapped up in God's name, in God's character. David doesn't just kind of hope vaguely that God might just love him. No, he knows so because God has shown him. God has revealed himself to him. You see, you can't delight in God's love unless you know that he loves you. Well, can we know that? Yes, we can. Even more concretely than than David did. God had shown himself to David in the sanctuary. But where has God shown himself to us? Well, the book of Hebrews reminds us that it is the Lord Jesus who is our true sanctuary. He is the place where, if you like, we meet God and we see him fully. And the New Testament says that if we're trusting him, we are, if you like, in him. If you like, we live each day in the sanctuary, in the objective presence of God's love, even if it doesn't feel like it or look like it. See, delight in the presence of covenant love. Use your mind. Don't judge God's love for you this morning by how you feel or by what's going on in your life. No, look to Jesus. Remember your sanctuary, Jesus, and know that you are loved today. 
Delight in the presence of covenant love. But David didn't just use his mind. See, he used his heart. So in verse 3, notice that David compares life on the one hand. If you like, all the, all the sex, money and power that he knew as king. And he compares it with God's covenant love. And what does he say? That life pales into insignificance alongside knowing God's love. See, this isn't just some academic, abstract comparison. No, as he thinks about how wonderful God's love is, he sings with joy. See, knowing this love touches his heart. He relishes in it. it. It satisfies him. He says it's better even than food or drink. Now, this is a very telling comparison. I've never been in a desert. Maybe some of you have. But, well, there isn't very much of me, so I don't think it would take me very long to be dreaming of food and drink. Maybe steak. Maybe deep pan pizza. A good cup of freshly brewed coffee or a long glass of chilled white wine. Actually, forget the coffee or the wine. Just a long glass of cool water would do me. And yet, you see, despite all he's missing, all he's lost, David says amazingly that there is something that satisfies him even more. The felt presence of God's covenant love. Well, for David, it was food and drink. I wonder, what is it for you this morning, for me? What are we craving for? What are we craving for? Maybe you find yourself here dissatisfied with, uh, with your relationship, with your marriage. Maybe you wish you had a relationship. And you think, oh, if only I was in this relationship, well, then things would be different. I'd be satisfied. Or maybe you're dissatisfied in your career. And you're thinking, if only I had that better job, or, or if only I was doing this and not this, well, then I'd be satisfied. Well, no. You see, you've got to know that God's love satisfies more deeply. See, our hearts will run after anything. We were built to find satisfaction, but only in a relationship with God. Only he can meet our deepest needs. So turn away from those other things and find your deepest joy in knowing that you're loved by God. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, but you know that your life is sort of driven by a desire for satisfaction. And you kind of, you run from one thing to the next, looking for, for the thing that will, will, will unlock life and make you happy. Well, you were built for satisfaction, but only in a relationship with the God who made you. And outside of that relationship, you will never be eternally, ultimately satisfied. So again, stop looking in the wrong place. Turn away and look to God. Well, how do you delight in God's love when he feels so far away, you might think? Well, yes, God has revealed himself through Jesus, but he's also, we know about Jesus through his, his written word, through the scriptures. And we delight in his love by delighting in his word. You see, God is very close to us as we read the Bible because he speaks to us through it. We hear his voice when we read the, when we read the scriptures. If I can be autobiographical for a moment... Over the past couple of years, one of my own um, struggles and deserts has been loneliness, a struggle with loneliness. I remember one night especially in London, when I lived in London, um, walking home from church one night and feeling that sort of familiar sense of uh, vulnerability and loneliness. And I was trying to remember some verses that I'd learned from a different psalm, Psalm 73, where the psalmist says to God, he says, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. 
And as I thought about those words and, sort of, uh, and spoke them to myself, I, I realised that it was true, that I might feel lonely, but actually uh, one who was, who was far greater was with me. He was holding me by my right hand. As I, as I thought about those words, it was as though the Lord Jesus spoke them to me. I felt his presence very closely. I was able to delight in the presence of covenant love. See, when you're in the desert and God seems far away, delight firstly in the presence of God's covenant love because it will satisfy you. It will. And this isn't something that we just do on our own. Remember that the Psalms were sort of God's, um, I'm sorry, Israel's songbook. They were, sort of, they, they were corporate, um, songs to be used corporately. Uh, and you see, in this psalm, truth and emotion come together. Uh, and it shows that hearing the Bible taught on a Sunday, when we gather as God's people, it should never be an end in itself. No, it should always lead us to have closer fellowship with God, as it did with David. If a church is spiritually healthy, well then, the more faithful it is to Scripture, the more joyful and passionate it will become, because the two go together. I fear in our evangelical constituency that sometimes we can divorce truth and emotion and so that in a right desire to avoid kind of emotional excess and to think rightly, we surrender the emotional middle ground and become suspicious of anything that smacks of emotion. And because of forward we seek to be a biblical church and that's right, well our danger will always be that we err on the side of dryness. You see, do we as a church seek God? Do we know anything of that hunger for him? That thirst for him? You see, we may be famous for being good at word ministry. We may, we may be famous for that, and, and I hope we are. It is the right thing. But are we, if you like, equally famous for our, our passion for God that the word should produce? Is our Sunday teaching causing us to sing more passionately? To pray more fervently, to, to confess sin more earnestly. Do we know our God as well as just know about him? See, the more we do and the more we delight in God's covenant love on a Sunday, well, the more we'll be helped to get through our own sort of deserts during the week. In a sense, Sunday should be a kind of oasis in the week. So when God seems far away, delight in his covenant love because it will satisfy you. That's the first dimension this morning of God's covenant love. But, but that's not all. Because what kind of a God is it who is with us in our, in our deserts? Well, onto the second dimension of his love. Delight in the protection of covenant love. Delight in the protection of covenant love. And this is verses 6 to 8. Uh, verses 6 to 8. See David in bed. Now, uh, problems always seem bigger at night, don't they? And David must have had a lot on his mind. After all, he just lost his throne, and his family and friends had turned against him. You can imagine the kinds of things that would have been running through his mind. Will I ever get my life back, my throne? Oh, it was so good. Why did it have to go wrong? Well, how does David deal with those nighttime thoughts? He delights in the protection of covenant love. See verse 6. He says, On my bed I remember... What, David? The troubles? No, you. See, God fills his thoughts. What in particular about God? Well, verse 7, God's help, his protection. As he was tempted to worry, you see, David remembered that God is still the God of verse 3. The God in a relationship of covenant, steadfast love. Love that would go the distance with David and so would protect him. 
See, there is a wealth of comfort in that one word, you. You. Because who is our faithful covenant God? Well, he's the one who's revealed himself as powerful and glorious in verse 2. Infinitely powerful. See, he keeps the universe going. Infinitely wise. He knows everything about everything, including all our worries and problems far better than we do. And as David remembers who his God is, well, do you see, he clings to him closer than anyone else. Verse 8, my soul clings to you. The original has the sense of being glued. David is is glued onto God. He's not going to let go. And he's not going to let go because, well, God won't let go of him. God is upholding him and protecting him. See, wherever you find yourself this morning, you can delight in the protection of covenant love. Your deepest fears cannot cut you off from God's protecting love. Delight in the protection of covenant love and you're safer than if you were living in in the safety of a thousand castles. And notice that it's not the thought of his situation improving that makes David praise God and sing. No, it is God who makes David sing. It's interesting, isn't it, that David doesn't ask for the situation to be taken away. He doesn't kind of ask God to take him out of the desert. No, He's happy to be in the desert as long as God is there with him. That is enough. See, wherever you find yourself today, even if you think it's unbearable, the fact that God is with you means that you can cope. It is enough. You can delight in the protection of covenant love. It reminds me of a missionary, the missionary John Payton. Some of you may have heard of him. An 18th century missionary to the South Sea Islands, He was a missionary on the island of Tanna, now Vanuatu. Soon after he arrived on the island, Peyton's wife and baby died of malaria. But he stayed and struggled on for four years. And eventually, after winning some converts, the whole island decided it was enough and rose up against him. Uh, And one night, uh, there were hundreds of islanders milling around uh, the island, looking for him, ready to kill him. So he had to leave and uh, he, he, he was in such danger that he had to, to climb up a tree for safety. Now, what would you have done if that had been you in that tree? I would have been petrified. But as he was in the tree, he remembered Jesus' promise. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I will be with you always. And Patton apparently said this. He said, I would not trade anything for the sweetness of the fellowship I enjoyed with my King Jesus in the tree that night. See, Jesus' protection was enough for John Payton. And we don't have to be missionaries to experience the same thing. See, what is keeping you up at the moment? What runs through your mind as you lie awake at night? Maybe a fear for your children. Uh, Maybe a fear of the future. You wonder, how am I going to cope? Maybe a situation that just, just frankly seems beyond your control. Well, God wants you to know this morning that he will protect you. He is for you. He he knows all about it and he won't let you go. He will uphold you. He's stronger, wiser than you. And he loves you more than you can imagine. When you're in the desert, delight in the protection of covenant love because it will satisfy you. Okay, so God is with us, uh, but is there any hope of the problems going away? 
Is, is, is David kind of on a, a one-way ticket to the desert, or, or, or was there any hope of him getting out? Well, yes, there was. For thirdly, delight in the promise of covenant love. Delight in the promise of covenant love. And here we are in verses 9 to 11. After delighting in God's presence and protection, see how David is encouraged by the promise of covenant love. And it's a promise with two sides. Retribution in verses 9 and 10 and restoration in verse 11. Uh, Retribution. You see, remember that David is in the desert because of his brother's plot to overthrow him. Even as David lies in the desert, his very life is, is under threat. Absalom is planning how he can destroy him. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 17. Now this is devastating and not just because David's life is at risk. Because God's faithfulness is at risk as well. Do you notice how in verse 11, uh, David uh, mentions the king. Now David is the king. He sort of distances himself from his own role. He refers to the king in the third person. Now why does he do that? It's because the institution of a king over God's people is bigger than just David. No doubt in David's mind is God's lengthy promise to him in 2 Samuel 7 uh, that there would always be a godly king on the throne. And now clearly that's not Absalom. So you see, as David meditated on God's promise, he, he knew and he came to see that, well, Absalom would be destroyed, that he himself would become a victim of the desert as his dead body was pulled apart by jackals. God's promise guaranteed retribution on David's enemies. God himself would ensure that David survived. And those words were indeed fulfilled for David. Absalom was later killed by David's commander, Joab. But for us, God's promise is is fully fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is God's eternal king on the throne. And because Jesus is on the throne, well, he will see to it that those who oppose him and those who oppose his people uh, will get retribution. You see, maybe you're hurting today because, uh, well, you've been unfairly treated. Uh, You feel like justice hasn't been done and you worry that there's a good chance it never will be. Well, delight in God's promise of retribution this morning because those who oppose him and his people will be brought to justice. He does see. He does know. Maybe you're not a Christian here today. Well, please know that the Bible does speak of hell. The Bible does speak of hell, of eternal punishments for those who will refuse to bow the knee to God's king. The Bible is black and white. If you're not for Jesus, you are against him. You are against God's king. And there will be retribution one day. Please don't find yourself on the wrong end of the Lord Jesus when he comes again. Have you woken up to that? See, delight in the promise of covenant love, retribution, but also see restoration, verse 11. See, here is the other side of the promise. Not only will David's enemies be deposed, but David's reign would be restored. And again, this was fulfilled for David in his lifetime. He was restored to his throne, and Absalom was silenced. But again, for us, this is most fully fulfilled in Jesus, uh, God's eternal king, whose whose reign is, is invisibly and partly established now, but one day it'll be fully and visibly realized for the whole world to see. We live in the kind of not yet time. 
And it means that we can't expect to be fully out of the desert in this life. Although God does uh, and can deliver us from hard things. And I hope we ask him to. I hope we bring our needs to him. But we can still delight in this future promise. Because when Jesus returns and God's eternal king is throned and crowned, well, not only will his reign be restored, but our place in his kingdom will be restored. And that kingdom is a promise of a new creation, an amazing, wonderful, physical place where we will rejoice in our God forever. That is ultimately the promise that we can delight in. See, when you're in the desert, delight in the promise of covenant love. But maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, quite frankly, I think I'm beyond the promise. There's no hope for me because I've blown it. I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's someone listening who feels as though they've, they've kind of been put in the desert by God. That God is keeping them there because of something they've done. Maybe something big. Maybe you've blown it big time. And you wonder, will God ever have me back? Well, if that's you, remember that Jesus is the ultimate David. Because Jesus too went into the wilderness. Jesus too went into the desert when he died on the cross. And do you remember what, uh, some of his words on the cross? He said, I am thirsty. Do you remember that? He said, I'm thirsty on the cross. It's desert language. Jesus knows what it is to be in the desert. Not just physically thirsty, but, but spiritually, as he was abandoned by God at the cross. If you like, he went into the ultimate spiritual desert so that you and I don't have to go there. You see, like David, Jesus went into that desert out of necessity having been pushed off his throne by another, not Absalom, but you and I. Like Absalom, you see, we would do anything to get the throne from God's king, even crucify him. And Jesus went there to save us from the ultimate wasteland of hell. And because he did, even if this morning we find ourselves in a desert because of something we've done, you see, God will always have us back. If you're wandering far from God today because you've given up hope that he'll ever have you back, well, you don't need to be in the wasteland anymore. You don't, because Jesus has already been there. So he says to you, come back. Come back. Delight in my covenant love, and I will satisfy you. So this week, when you feel far from God, when your life feels like it's falling apart, well, Don't go to the mind, body and soul exhibition. You'll find nothing there. No, delight in God's covenant love because it will satisfy you. The presence of covenant love, the protection of covenant love and the promise of covenant love. And as you do, you will be satisfied. Let's pray. Just a moment for you to respond individually to the Lord. I'll finish with the prayer that we had read earlier from Ephesians chapter 3. Father, we pray this morning that wherever we find ourselves, out of your glorious riches, would you strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. And we pray that being rooted and established 
in love, that we might have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In the name of Jesus. Amen.